Good morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is David Smith. And here at North Star, we have a great reverence for the power and the sweetness of God's word. We have a reading plan that goes on for about two years. If you've not got a pathway journal yet, right through those double doors, you can grab on the way out. We've even asked our third and fourth grade small groups if they would consider getting on the reading plan. I mean, they can read, they can jump in. But when we asked them to do that, what we didn't think about is that a few days into their beginning of the reading plan, that they'd be coming across Ezekiel chapter five. (laughs) And if you're not familiar with Ezekiel chapter five, let me give you just a little taste of that chapter. And so I want you to imagine just a pure, innocent third or fourth grader opening their Bible maybe for the first time because this is part of the reading plan. They come to Ezekiel chapter five. Let's just read verse nine and 10 together. It says, because of all of your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, parents will eat their children and children will eat their parents. Amen, let's pray. Like, what do you even say to that? So if you are a parent and you're in one of those third fourth grade groups, let me just say, here's what I'd encourage you. Just say, the fall is messy, Jerusalem was sieged, and Christian cannibalism is not a thing. It's not a thing at all. But nonetheless, the word can be so confusing, and we recognize that about every two years in the reading plan, we are encouraging everybody in the fall to get back into pathway groups. We've even created a little bit of a new edition of the journal. And this is just where we land. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. But what I want to encourage you is that if it's in the scriptures, it's there for a really, really good reason. So we know it's difficult. We know we feel like we're walking through quicksand a little bit right now. But I encourage you to keep pressing forward. We're also in the Psalms as well. So that'll give you a little reprieve. But nonetheless, we understand it's a weird spot to jump in. But the good news is over 60% of you are in smaller community groups. Uh, It has probably never been like that at North Star before, especially not post-COVID. So that's people in our pathway groups, micro churches. We have 131 kids who signed up to be in small groups from third to 10th grade. That is a huge, huge step for us. So if you are not in any sort of community or discipleship right now with others, just let us know. There's no like deadline. You can jump in anytime. So again, stop a connecting point, grab one of us. We'd love to get you involved. Uh, Last quick kind of state of the union stuff. I wanted to share two weeks ago, the care center saw a record number of people come in over the course of a Wednesday. It was 283 families. I couldn't tell you how many people that is. Now, we are not a relief organization, so sometimes it'd be exciting to go, oh, we had all these people, we gave all this stuff away. That's not what we're really rooting for. What we're excited about, as more people are coming in, we're seeing more lives change as they step into our programming. We had a young man give his life to Jesus the other week. We've had people finish their job training, stepping to, yeah, praise God, that's worth pausing. Like, praise God that we get to hear stories like that. People stepping into work, people are got, uh, receiving transportation, so not only they can continue to get to work, but they can take jobs a little further away that help them advance. We are all about moving people from crisis to stable to thriving, and that takes relationships, that takes a lot of work. If you aren't familiar with the Care Center this Thursday night in this room, we're gonna be having our Catalyst Night. We'd love to have you come out. You can go through those double doors, register, come out. We just would love for you to learn more 
about what God is doing through that ministry. So with that said, let's jump into the message for today. So I've said this dozens of times over the years. You guys are probably tired of hearing about it. But it was really one of the most pivotal moments in my life. It was 1995. I was in a car accident. I've told you guys that was the beginning of my journey toward Jesus. What you may not know is my intestines were ruptured during that accident. And so they had to cut me open, pull out the intestines, cut a piece off, sew it back together, and then they stapled me back up. Now, for those six to seven days in the hospital, I lost 25 pounds over the course of that time. And I believe in that week, my stomach shrunk. Now, if you're a doctor, you may be shaking your head going, no, you're just scrawny, get in the gym, your stomach didn't shrink. I think it did, because my appetite has never been the same as it was before that accident. And so again, dozens of times throughout the week, I'll have people say things to me like, hey, you know, we're gonna swing by Chick-fil-A on the way home, would you like us to grab something for you? And I'll say, I'm just not that hungry. Or would you like a snack before lunch? I'm just not that hungry. Or do you want another serving of chicken parmesan? No, I'm just not that hungry. I can't tell you the number of times I've been holding a plate. My mom looks at what's on the plate. Are you sure you don't want more? I'm just not that hungry. That has been a constant statement from my mouth ever since that accident. Physically, I'm just not that hungry. But here's what's interesting. That statement was also prominent in my life for the first 15 years of following Jesus. And it wasn't a statement about my physical hunger, it was about my spiritual hunger. Because during those first 15 years of following Jesus, I would see all these people around me radically pursuing and chasing after the Lord. And they'd come to me and say, hey David, we're all going to the conference, you wanna go with us? I'm just not that hungry. Or we're going to go fast and pray this weekend. We're going to go reach out to these people. We're going to go do this Bible study. And I would think to myself, I'm just not that hungry. There'd be people all around me snacking on God all the time. And all I could think to myself is spiritually, I'm just not that hungry. I would also meet people and see people throughout this time that were hungry in a way that I couldn't even define. There's a guy behind me, look at this picture, Jesus Ruiz. He was the very first mission partner we've ever had. We spent 12 years in Juarez, Mexico during kind of the heyday of the cartel. I know it hasn't been cleaned up completely, but we were going down there at times that we didn't know how bad it was. And Jesus was somebody that we partnered with right away. And for over the 12 years, we built a ministry campus that they're still using today in Juarez. But Jesus had an interesting story. He was born in Juarez and eventually made his way over to El Paso, Texas, their twin cities. And he made this commitment that he would never, ever go back to Juarez. He never wanted to go there until one day God said to him, you're going back to Juarez. And for the next 24 years, he and his family would go over the border every single day from El Paso to Juarez, into the mess, into where the cartel was every day to love those people. Watching him worship, watching him pray, watching his obedience just blew me away. One of my favorite stories about Jesus is that when we were in the middle of building this ministry campus, we would have stacks of drywall outside overnight for days, and he would sleep on the stacks of drywall to make sure nobody stole them and nobody got to us and the place that we were staying. 
And so I would watch the hunger of Jesus over and over again. And all I could think to myself is, how do I get that? How do I get that kind of hunger? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How in the world do we do that? grow inside of us a hunger for God, not just individually, but corporately? How do we all adopt this heart that burns for Jesus? Because to be a healthy church, the greatest appetite that we have has to be a hunger for God. And so that's what I'm hoping we can answer today. So let me pray and we'll jump into the scripture we have. So Father, we love you. We thank you. We just ask right now, would you take just any distraction that we have in our minds, in our hearts, would you push it away? Father, I just want you to take any words, any motives that I have that aren't from you and just get rid of them. We wanna hear from you and you alone. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So we're in the fourth week of our Healthy Church series and I just wanna be very clear about this. This has been the best email I've gotten the past few weeks. We are not doing this series to say and convince you that we're a healthy church. We're not doing that at all. We have tons of elements of unhealthiness in our church. We're doing this series because we're just trying to aim at what a healthy church should be. And so we've been defining what this means by going through the book of Psalms. It's been part of our reading plan right now. And the components we've said is number one is that a healthy church has a main message, which is that Jesus is king and the king is here. Uh, two weeks ago, Beth talked about that a healthy church laments, and so we actually lead out of our vulnerability and our weakness. And last week, Katie talked about how a healthy church is a church of generosity, that we're not only sacrificing our money, but every part of who we are. And today we're going to talk about how a healthy church is a hungry church, not just a church that just plays church, just checks off the boxes, but a church that is passionately chasing after Jesus. So how do we get there? because we are hungry after so many things. The Bengals, the Buckeyes, our family, our faith. Excuse me, faith is a good thing, friends. But you know what I mean? There are so many different hungers competing for our appetite. How do we land that hunger? Number one, solely and squarely on God. So let's go ahead and jump into, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Psalm 42. We read this Psalm eight days ago in our reading plan. And originally Psalm 42 and 43 were one Psalm. Somewhere in the translations, they were split into two. But the most important thing to point out here, I think is the subject line that describes this Psalm before you jump into it. And what you'll read right there at the top is it says, this is a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, a mascal can be defined as many things, but I think right here, it's talking about a musical instruction. And that instruction is that you have to respond to this psalm. Don't just read it. Don't just mentally process it, but it's meant to respond. The good news is you don't have to respond today. We're not gonna do any more singing at this portion. But regardless, that was the hope is that people would respond and sing through this psalm. Now, sons of Korah, that's an interesting statement. They've got quite a checkered background, but what I'm gonna tell you today is just kind of the basics. The sons of Korah, they made up a choir of Levites. They were the temple servants, and so they were in a way the worship leaders of the temple sanctuary. What you saw Jeremy and Ellen and Abby doing up here and the rest of the gang, that's who the sons of Korah were. They were the worship leaders at the temple of God. Now the big controversy of this psalm is who wrote it and what was it written about? And a lot of folks will think, well, this is written about King David. You guys know about that time in his life, he's a little bit older, 
His son Absalom has chased him off the throne. And this is all about David lamenting and processing that. The only problem with that theory is if you get to verse 6, which we're not going to look at today. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, this, you'll love this. Go read verse 6 because there's geography mentioned there that David is never near. And so what some people conclude is that this is actually a psalm written about and for just a basic random son of Korah who has been exiled to some foreign land. He's surrounded by his enemies who are telling him, where is your God? Now, we don't know what foreign enemy this is. We're not sure who drug him away, but that's the idea. And this son of Korah is hungry right now to get back to Jerusalem, to get back into the presence of God, into the temple of God, and that's where he wants to be. But unfortunately, right now, that's not his reality. So here's what he writes. Verse 1, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, when somebody pants, typically it's because they're out of breath. And so it's almost as if the son of Korah is saying, even if I'm short of breath, even if I'm short of water, my heart longs for God more than anything else. I can literally be about to die and what my heart wants more than anything else is not physical life, it's not another breath, but God, I want you. And so that's what he's conveying here. He says, I want to escape my captors and I want to get back to Jerusalem because I want to worship God. There's nothing more important. Now remember, the Psalms were written before Jesus. And so with each and every one of us, we're now on the other side of the cross. And so when you and I give our lives to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give us life, we are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the power and presence of God inside of us. And so therefore, if you want to be in the presence of God, you don't have to go to some building. We don't have to go to some sanctuary. We don't have to be in some temple. He's with you right now. But where we can relate with the sons of Korah, it's the fact that there are also captors in our life that are trying to keep us from going deeper with God. It's not the Assyrians, it's not the Babylonians, the Arameans, but instead it's captors like convenience and comfort and distraction and hardship. And so in distress, the son of Korah from his captivity goes on to say, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And so this is actually a moment of confession. I mean, think, th think about this for a quick moment. When was the last time you confessed something to somebody? Something you really didn't want to share. It's not real easy, is it? It's not easy to confess to another human. It's not easy to confess to God. But I think that's what this son of Korah is doing in this moment. He's admitting that he's actually feasted on something outside of God. And he says that I have fed on my tears. And so by feasting on his grief, what I want to make sure you hear me say, that is not a bad thing. Beth talked about this last weekend. She said that our grief is one of the most important things that we can process when we're going through a time of trouble. But what I think the son of Korah is really saying here is that my greatest appetite is beginning to waver between self-pity and my hope for God. It's going back and forth. Where is my greatest hunger? Is it pity for myself or is it hope in God? That's what he's confessing. But then he jumps out of it. Look what he says in verse four. Things start to turn around. 
He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul right now, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And there's something about those words. Can't you just picture the hunger shouts of joy and praise and this festive throng. In fact, those two words, I've never really heard them used together, but that's what our gatherings should feel like every single Sunday we get together. It should be a festive throng. There's a street sign out there, but yes, amen. We got one amen. Come on, suburban church, amen. We can do it. Oh, I'm feeling like a convicting moment to challenge you guys, but I'm not gonna do it. Not going to do it. It was funny how many people were here at the 9 a.m. because of the Bengals game, nonetheless. Like that whole, that whole circle right there was at the 9 a.m. And one of the things we talked about is just the fascination. This is actually the lowest attended Sunday in the entire fall. Not Labor Day. I went back and looked. I had to. It's not Labor Day. It's not any of the other, like near the holidays. It's Bengals opening day. Every single, I love sports like anybody, but man, what does that say about hunger? Just think about that for a moment. No shame, no guilt, I love sports. Anyway, in this quick moment, talking about this festive throng, this is where we start to see a turn. It's almost as if the author steps out of his pity party. And what's helping him is he's remembering these moments of worship. He's saying, I remember these great times of worship. You know, it was the other, uh, other night we had prophetic prayer and communion. And I was telling Rusty and Abby and the team, I said, what's so amazing about those events is that on the prophetic prayer and communion, you only get people who are really hungry for God. It just seems to be the atmosphere of the evening. And so I told him, it's kind of like a ping pong match. Like the worship team's up here and as they're leading and the hunger comes from the audience, it's just a back and forth and hunger's going back and forth. And I, I remember each of those very fondly. So when I get in places of feeling stuck or feeling down and out or maybe having a pity party, a lot of times I go back and I think of those evenings, that time of worship that was so sweet and on fire for the Lord. But it doesn't have to be corporate and it doesn't have to be exciting and vibrant. You know, two days ago in that uh, Pathway Journal we've got on Friday, the spiritual practice said just to go out and spend 10 minutes walking around, spending time worshiping the Lord, just you and him. And so I went over to Mead property, if you guys know where that is. And as I was walking around, that's just one of those sweet times of worship that I want to think back to, that when I get into the pity party or I get in that place where I'm stuck, just remembering those moments of worship that were sweet that were powerful. That's what he's doing right here. And as his son of Korah remembers the shouts of praise, he finds the strength to confront his own soul. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And so he's literally talking to his own soul right here. Have you ever done that? Like he's talking to his soul, almost like we know better than this. Like, why are we so downcast? He's the Lord, he's the King, he's almighty. He's sovereign. He's going to come through. When I would play basketball, you would see these guys a little more eccentric. They would shoot a shot, right? They would miss. They would run down the court yelling at their hand. <laughs> like, we know better than this. We've been spending a decade practicing. Why are you doing this to me? And so the son of Korah is confronting his own soul. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time here this morning. We are going to confront our own soul by listening to stories 
that are from the other side of the world. And we're gonna do some more of that tonight as well when Simon comes back in the evening at seven. But before I have him come up, I wanna show you just a quick video that tells you a little bit more about Project 114, which Simon and his wife Allison lead. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what they're doing and then we'll have Simon come up. In the world today, there are more than two billion people who identify with the Christian faith. That's more than one third of the global population. 70% of Christians, however, live in countries where God's people are under threat. 400 million Christians are routinely attacked and denied work and education simply for following Jesus. Every six minutes, a believer is killed because of their faith in Christ. Many persecuted Christians are also impacted by war, crisis and displacement, leaving them mentally traumatized and vulnerable. But there is hope. Project 114 is on the front line to support and equip the suffering church. Many humanitarian and mission agencies focus on physical aid, but very few Christians in crisis receive dedicated mental health aid. Project 114 is different. We've created a unique three-part workshop series called Planted for Purpose. Our workshops combine psychology and scripture to equip believers with the mental and spiritual tools that are vital for long-term trauma recovery, reconciliation and resilience. Project 114 is a grassroots ministry inspired by Philippians 1.14. Each one of our seven worldwide staff are involved directly and personally with all our field workers and frontline projects. Our resources are available in eight languages and we have projects underway in six countries. Through the healing and equipping work of Project 114, persecuted Christians around the world are living examples of how faith in Christ can help us overcome crisis and grow through suffering. Thousands have already participated in our workshops. With your support, thousands more can also receive hope and healing. We believe restoring joy is vital. Healing is possible. Forgiveness brings freedom. And resilience creates change for individuals and whole communities. Together, we can be part of this kingdom work. All right, well, welcome up, Simon Rattray. I think he's back there. Round of applause. So, you know, something I forgot to ask you, how many years have you guys been doing uh, Project 114? Uh, only about five. Okay, wow. Well, we started in 2019, just yeah. before the Easter Sunday bombings in Sri Lanka. Wow, Yeah. okay. And, you know, I think you guys probably caught it from the video. I didn't say this uh, before we showed it. Just the idea that you're working in places where trauma care is needed so badly for Christians who've been through tough spots and uh, 
you know, Simon's going to come back tonight at 7. We are going to live stream it, I believe. People have been asking that. And it's going to give us just a little bit of a deeper look of just what their ministry is doing, but also just your experience. And so what I wanted today is for Simon to share with you guys a couple stories to get kind of a taste of what's happening. And the hope is that confronting the soul part is listening to these stories of hunger and just letting them birth something inside of us. So you had yeah. a few few stories you're going to share with us this morning. Yeah, yeah, I have. And I really wanted to, by God's grace, yeah, just ask the Lord to use these stories to ignite your faith and hunger for God's word even more. One of the first pastors I actually met when I went to Vietnam the first time uh, shared with me how when he was a young man, uh, he was already planning churches and you know evangelizing and risking so much, but he didn't have his own Bible. And so he's like, I just, I'm, I, I can't do this without a Bible. I just can't do it anymore. And so he found out that there was a pastor in another state who had a Bible. And back then in Vietnam, under communist rule, uh, Bibles were very, very scarce. And so he managed to somehow contact the pastor by letter. And the pastor said, look, you can come down and you can borrow my Bible for the weekend. But you can't take it anywhere. You can read it at the house. You can stay with me and read it, but you can't take it. Be very careful of it. It's the most valuable thing I have. And so he, this guy leaves his family and leaves his job. And he walks right through monsoon season for about a week in, in one of the most dangerous parts of that country. There were communist roadblocks everywhere. They had you know, people searching for Christians, and you even had to show your ID. It was really, really serious, but he had such a hunger for God's word that he wanted to get a taste of a Bible for himself. And he eventually made it to this pastor's home, and uh, the pastor said, look, you can't leave. Remember, you can only just meditate on the Bible. I've got a special room here. Look, you can have the spare room. And here's a little light. And so the pastor said, because he was telling me the story later, the pastor, he said, like, this guy stayed up the entire, every single night, two nights. He was there. I'd look in the room and the light would be on and he'd be weeping and memorizing scripture and I'm like man I've got the Bible I own the Bible I don't have the hunger like this guy he was amazing and so after his time there after that weekend two nights two days he handed the book back to the pastor and the pastor said I actually had to take the Bible and you know dry it out in the sun for two days I said what what he said, because he soaked it with his tears. And later on, I met up with this guy again, and he said, like, that was the most incredible experience because over those two days, I was able to memorize quite a bit of the New Testament. I'm like, what, two days? I mean, I've had a Bible my entire life, and I haven't memorized even, like, mm. probably more than two chapters. This is just not a thing we do, right? And he's like, well, shame on you. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and so now he, he has a thriving church, uh, one of the largest church networks in that country. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. You had a story as well, a story from Korea, which I don't mean to hype it up too much. I haven't 
just never have heard something like this. I'd love for you to share that one as well. Uh, yeah, well, this is one of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard, but I believe it because the guy who shared it with me had spent many years there and end up, he's one of my mentors now. He's been in his early 90s. But I'm not sure how much about North Korea you know, but in North Korea, it is the most dangerous country for Christians. Like to own even a verse of scripture to be caught with, a verse of scripture could be a life sentence for you. And not just for you, for your whole family. You know, you're guilty by association if you know someone who actually has a piece of scripture. And so Christians will risk more than you could possibly imagine to get a piece of scripture. I mean, a Bible, that's like the Holy Grail uh, in North Korea. And uh, later on, if you don't believe me, some people don't, but I can guarantee this story is true. Google the sale in corneas and body parts in Southeast Asia. It's a massive underground market. But there was this story of, of this young man. He was around about seven when he told my mentor. Uh, so he was an older man, but he, was, he tells the story of when he was about seven, his mother was, uh, his, his father had died some years previously, but his mother was leading a church in a basement right next to an incredibly stenchy sewerage system. Stenchy, is that a word? Yeah, anyway, that's good. In Australia it is, okay? <laughs> no. And it stunk so bad that it was just like they knew the secret police would not be game to go there because it was like, it's just like, it's really bad. Um, that sort of, yeah, okay, <laughs> don't do that. We do that in Australia. Anyway. <laughs> but they, they knew that they wouldn't get caught there. And he said, even as a young boy, everyone knew that as you walked up to this sewerage system and they had this little you know, apartment under, next to it, it was like the beautiful aroma of heaven because they knew they could worship without any fear. But there was one vital ingredient missing. There was no Bible. Nobody had ever seen a Bible. There were old people, like people in their 80s going to this church and they'd never seen a Bible in their entire lives. Can you imagine that? I mean, we have, what, over 100 transliterations of Scripture. You get them all on your iPhone. Not one Bible. And she was praying every single day. He said, I was worried about my mum that she was going insane with just this unbelievable hunger for the word of God. She would starve herself. She would weep. She would cry every morning. I could barely, uh, the only child, I could barely like stand hearing her scream and cry before God. And then he said, the Lord just didn't answer that prayer because a Bible, if you could get one in the underground market in the country, it would be like seven grand US around about that. And that would be like 10 years salary for her she just couldn't afford it but one day in total desperation of soul she found out that in the black market she could get one and she didn't actually need to pay money she could pay body parts she's like well she found out that a kidney is 2000 and you know, okay, I'll do that. And any members of the congregation, someone else, yeah, that, well, that's two, and we need another, you know, five, I think, or four grand. And, and anyway, but to cut a long story short, 
not all the congregation were keen on this idea. So she's like, look, I'm going to do it. I'm the pastor. I'm the one who's responsible to sacrifice everything for the church. Sorry, Pastor David. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rusty, no, no, I didn't mean that for all pastors. But she's like, I, I, I'm going to do it. And they said, well, look, an easier solution to get your Bible is corneas have a very high value on the black market. And Google it, you can Google it. One, one eye. Okay, I'm ready. Just as the operation's about to get going, they said, look, sorry, but we, we sort of got our calculations wrong. We really need both eyes to get you the one Bible. And she said, look, I'm willing to lose both my eyes and possibly my life so that my church can see. Because I believe the word of God, when it says, my word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. She said, without the scriptures, our church will not grow, our people will not see. And so they said, well, there's one little extra little problem we forgot to tell you about. There's no, there's no anaesthetist. And uh, we, we don't actually have any pain reduction. Are you still ready to do it? And she said, I want my Bible. And so just as she was about to undergo this operation, the head of this movement, this underground, you know, black market movement, he was there in the room and he said, just as they were about to begin this operation, I saw a light from heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. I didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was or Jesus was, but in this vision, Jesus said, look, I am Jesus. Give this woman her Bible. And uh, I, <laughs> I gave her the Bible and that was it. And, you know, this may sound unbelievable to you, but this is one of so many stories I'm hearing all the time out of these countries where people will risk everything for the Word of God because their hunger for the Scriptures is absolutely unbelievable. Oh, amen. Amen. Well, tonight, 7 o'clock, I encourage you guys, please come back. Simon's going to be sharing more stories also with a theme of forgiveness. That's a big piece that he has seen that probably will shock a lot of us uh, to be in that environment. But uh, let me just pray for tonight. So Father, I just thank you for Simon. Thank you for his ministry and his heart to be here. I just pray, Father, you would begin just orchestrating this evening tonight to be one that just honors and it glorifies you. You are worthy. And Father, we just pray grow hunger in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Simon. See you tonight. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone, yeah. So the greatest appetite of a healthy church is their hunger for God. But here's kind of the trick. Only God can grow the hunger. We get to cultivate the soil, but it's God that actually makes the hunger grow. So no wonder in Simon's stories, what we heard is that their hunger for God was birthed out of the hunger they had for the word of God. Not our word, but his word because it's not by our actions, our strength, our anything. It's God who grows the hunger. And unlike so many Christians across the globe, we have access to the very word of God, his words. That should be a mind-blowing privilege for us. 
We can study in freedom with others without having to look over our shoulders. And so why do we here at North Star, why do we highlight the persecuted church over and over and over again? There are millions of different things we can be pointing to across the globe. And the reason why is because even in their bondage, they possess the very thing that we lack in our freedom, which is a desperate, desperate hunger for God. This is the key to unlocking the satanic lullaby that is constantly rocking the suburban church to sleep. It is a desperate, desperate hunger for Jesus. And so how do we get it? How do we start cultivating the soil? Again, just my two takeaways. Begin reading the word of God. Grab one of those journals on the way out. The word of God is not the end goal, but what it does is it builds the relationship that cultivates this kind of hunger. A relationship with God to create and cultivate a hunger for him. And then the second thing, I just want you to remember, hunger begets hunger. If you want a hunger for Jesus to grow inside of you, get around hungry people. I love what John shared up here. And one of the reasons why John is spearheading this whole weekend, everyday encounter, because he's a hungry individual. And there's going to be hungry people here. And I just encourage you. And I don't play this card very often. But man, I would love for all of us to be there. Because hunger is going to grow for that weekend. And if you do not have the $30 to be there, let me know. I will personally pay your way. Everybody's way who says, I don't have the money. I'll give it to you. Hunger is going to grow that weekend. And I want all of us to be there. Get in the word and let's be around hungry people on a regular basis. And let's see what God does. And so I want to invite the worship team out. You know, when it comes to cultivating hunger, I think every week when we take communion, that's what we're doing. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We can't forget that. And then the prayer teams are going to be up here. And I want to share just a quick story. You know, with prayer, um, it was a few months ago, my wife, Emily, and my daughter, Emma, and I went for a bike ride on the bike trail. You guys know the Leveland bike trail? Pretty flat. And all of a sudden, Emma is just trailing behind us. Now, she's in pretty good shape, so I'm a little alarmed, and I'm watching her just struggle to pedal. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, she is incredibly out of shape. But then she switched bikes with Emily, and all of a sudden, Emily's kind of trailing behind, and I'm thinking, I must have failed as a husband, as a father. These are the two most out-of-shape women I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but then guess who gets on the bike next that they were on? And I realized something's wrong with this bike. So I'm apologizing to them profusely. And I'm realizing the front brakes are engaged without actually pressing the brake, you know, handle things. And so poor Emma had been riding with the brakes, like pushing onto that front tire the entire time. And I thought back to that story and I thought to myself, I wonder how many of us, that's what it's feeling like with our hunger right now. Like we want to be hungry for God, but it feels like there's something hindering that growth and we can't detect it. We don't know what it is, but we want it gone. And so I want to ask all of you to stand. And I'm just going to assume that all of us here today, maybe we've got an undetected break that is keeping us from breakthrough. And I want to corporately ask God right now to deliver us from that thing, whatever that thing may be. And so I'm going to ask you now, if you would, just to open up your hands.
as a posture of receiving. And so, Father, I just pray over each and every one of us, you say that the same power that rose you from the grave lives inside of us. And so, Holy Spirit, wherever you are in this room, I ask right now, would you break off the things that are keeping us from breakthrough, the things that are hindering our appetite for you, Lord, that's placing other hungers ahead of our appetite for you, Jesus. I just corporately say, Lord, deliver us, free us from these things. We can't create hunger on our own, Lord, but you say that we can cultivate the soil. Lord, we know that prayer is the great cultivator. And so bring your power right now. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So as you guys feel led, come up, take communion. The prayer teams will be up here. We'd love to pray for you for whatever you have going on. And then a few minutes, I'll jump up and close us out. Let's worship.